All right, we're going to start here by the Mishnah on Memtet Amudbet. The Mishnah is a Mishnah that is parallel to a Mishnah that's found in Olot. In Olot, in Perak Bet, Mishnah Aleph, there is a Mishnah that has the same dinim. Some of them are different, which is key, because those differences are unique. Halacha Lemoshe Misinai in Nazir. That's number one. And number two is, there's some items that are missing, or have a little bit of an additional explanation, and they will help us understand this Mishnah as well. So, Elu Tumult Anazir Migaleach. What tumult does a nazir have to be megaleach, which means which tumah is sufficient grounds to be considered tumata mate that would undermine the nazirut for the nazir. So alamate, the first one is on a cadaver, on a mate. Val kezayit min mate, or a kezayit min mate. The obvious question which the Gemara will have to address is, if you have a kezayit min mate that is mitameh, then what do you need mate for? Mate, by definition, will always include kezayit min mate. For that, we have to come up with an answer. Well, kazayit neitzel, that's another thing that we will deal today. The neitzel is the liquid that emanates from the body of the cadaver, whether that's from the decomposition of the body or whether that's from liquids that emanate from the body. Vamalol tarvad rakav, and a spoonful of a decomposed mate. The Gemara again today will explain what is Melot Tarvad, means a spoonful, a ladleful, but the Gemara will discuss the size of what that is today, what measurement is. Alashidra Valagugolit, the spine and the skull. Now, so far, all these items that we've mentioned so far are all mentioned also in the Mishnah in Oalot. Over here, you can see Tosavot explains, when we're talking about the Shidra and Gugolit, Afopish Enalea Basar Klau. The Chiddush here about the Shidra and the Gugolit is that there's no flesh on these items, so they in of themselves will create tumata mate, even without anything else that we've mentioned until now. And a skeletal remains. Val mina mate, val mina chai, basar kira ui. And again, here, similar to the Mishnah Olot, we're talking about whether it's an aver that left a person who was alive, or an aver from someone that has passed away. But here, it's not sufficient that it just be an aver, has been a bear that has flesh on it that is kira'oi. Kira'oi means that it is sufficient flesh that it could actually grow back. I mean, had the limb been attached to the individual, if this was the amount of flesh on it, that it would heal and that it would then remain intact. So you need enough basar in order for that to be the case. And over here again, Tosavo comments, Afopi Shembo Basar. That's assuming it doesn't have a kazait basar on it, because otherwise you'd be captured by the kazait basar before. So here we're talking about something smaller than a kazait basar, but it's enough basar that would sufficient basar or flesh that would allow the limb to heal. Alright, So here we have a, a break from the Mishnah Nolot. The Mishnah Nolot says, Rova Atzamot, which is Rova Kav of Atzamot, and there it says, Mirov Binyan, Oh, Mirov Minyan. That comes from the robe of the Minyan or the robe Binyan. So first of all, in our Mishnah, it says Chatsi Kavatzamot. So that's the first thing. So even though Tumat Oel and Tumat Amate, as far as the Mishnah Olot are concerned, by a Rova Kav, a quarter of a Kav would be sufficient grounds for Tumah. In order to undermine the Nizirut, you need a Chatsi Kav. So this is Allah Chalamoshim Sinai, but it's a key difference between here and the Mishnah Olot which tells us that Nazir is not only about Tumatamate, there's certain unique dimim with regards to Nazir, that he has a Chatzikah Vatzimot, not a Rovakah Vatzimot. The second thing is the Mishnah in Olot specifies Mirova Binyan, O Mirova Minyan. 
that this bucket full of bones has to derive from what's called Rov Binyan or Rov Minyan. Rov Binyan means the majority of the standing structure of a human being. The Gemara and the Mishnayot and other places discuss that that includes the Shokayim, the Rechayim, and the Shidra. If you were to take the spine, and in the legs you took the thighs, and then the lower leg, in that the Shokayim and the Rechayim, so if you took those four bones that deal with the legs, and the Amuda Shidra, and the spinal column, that that would equal the height of an individual. So if you have the rove of that, then rove binyano would be if you had any three of those bones. So if you either had the spinal column and two of the leg bones, or three of the leg bones, then you have the rove, what's called binyan. So then, that's the rove binyan. Rove minyan, the Gemara assumes there are 248 limbs. And the Mishnah in Olot, this Mishnah says that half of that would be, or the rove would be 125. So that would be the number here. Now, the way that it's learned in the Mishnah Olot, it says, Meirov Binyan, O Meirov Binyan. It doesn't mean that you have to have the Rov Binyan. It doesn't mean you have to have the Rov Binyan. It just means that the bones that you have here that fill that amount, the Rov HaKav or the Chatzikav, derived from the skeletal remains that were of those parts, the Rov Binyan or Rov Minyan. And you can see that Tosafot over here, mentions it as well, which is, So he says that you can't explain it, it didn't come from the Rov Binyan or Rov Minyan, because even in Ohel, that would not be Mitame. The Tosvot says, don't try to explain the difference between the Mishnah and Olot, and the Mishnah here, the Mishnah Olot says Rov Akav, because it's talking about Mirov Binyano or Mirov Minyano. But over here, when it says chatzikav, it means from other bones. Don't explain that way because it won't work. Because without the rov minyan or rov binyan, there is no tumat ol. And so therefore the chatzikav cannot be relevant. So here it's aloha lemosh misinai, that it's a chatzikav atzimot, again, that derives from the rov binyan or rov minyan. As long as that's where it derived from, and this is the quantity that you have, then that would be soter de nizirut. Then, va log dam, a half a log of dam, and again, over here in the Mishnah Nolot, it's actually the next Mishnah, it's Mishnah Bet and Olot, over there it's Revi'it Dam. So as far as Tumat Olot is concerned, you only need a Revi'it of Dam. On the other hand, here in the Mishnah, you need a Chatzilog Dam. This is another Aloha the Moshe Misinai, where for the Nazir, even though there's Tumat Olot with Revi'it Dam, Chatzilog of Dam will be necessary in order to be Soter the Nizirut. In the Mishnah in Olot, there's a Machoket, whether the Raviyat Dam must derive from a single mate, or even if it derives from two matim. And as you pointed out, we just saw this recently with the word nafshot. When Rabbi Kiva's Darshni called nafshot mate, the fact that it was written in plural, nafshot, says that it can derive from two matim. But that's a question in general, whether it's the Raviyat Dam of Olot, or you would say here, the Chatzilog Dam of Nazir, you have that question, is it only from a single mate or from multiple matim? And that's subject to the Machloket that's brought in Perak Bet, Mishnah Bet, and Olot. And all these items, Amagan, Vamasan, Vahilan, mean that these items grant Tumah in all three of these methods. Which is, if you come into contact with them, you carry them, or you're found in the same oil as them. So all of these items create Tumat HaOel. Val Etzim Kisseora, a bone that is the size of a barley seed, Amagova Masa'ol. So a bone of that small nature, that small size, has Tumat mate associated with it, but does not create Tumat HaOel. Therefore, 
if you come into contact with it, you carry it, you would be Tomei. But if you're in the same oil as it, it would not affect you. That's both for Tumat O'ol as well as for Stirat Nazir. Aleilu Nazir Migaleach. On these items, the Nazir is Migaleach. You can see the Mishnah begins, Aleilu Tumot, Nazir Migaleach. And now repeats, Aleilu Nazir Migaleach. So the Gemara will ask, why do I need you to say that twice? What's the reboy that comes out of this? Umazer Bishlishiu Bishvi'i. This is the normal process of Tara for anybody who's Tamei Tumat that you have to get sprinkled on by the Paraduma on the third and seventh day. Vesoteret HaKodmim, which is the din with regards to Nazir, which it undermines the previous count that you had done in terms of Nazirut. Ve'enumat And you do not start counting the new count, Ela'adshi Taher, Umeviet Korbanot, until he becomes Tahor, brings his Korbanot to Tumah, then he can begin the process of counting the Nazirut, how much he has to make up We've discussed in the past, if it's okay the entirety of the Nizirut, is it okay 30 days of the Nizirut? How much is it okay, possibly depending on when in the Nizirut the Tumah happens? So that's subject to the Machokot Rishonim that we've discussed earlier in the Mesechta. Right, Tano Banan. Achar Petirato Shul Rabbi Meir. Amar Lehen Rabbi Yudah Tamidav. After Rabbi Meir passes away, Rabbi Yudah says to his students, Ayikansu Tamidei Rabbi Meir Lekan. Do not allow the students of Rabbi Meir to enter. They are argumentative, provocative. They are not necessarily easy to work with. That's a nice thought that the word might mean from the word contrarian. It would be interesting also. Whereas the Mifaresh seems to indicate it comes from the word torturous. They're not coming to learn. But they're coming to catch me. Catch me with mistakes that I made or differences that I have with Rabbi Meir. So now, first of all, Rabbi Meir is known to be very sharp and very bright. The Gemara in other places talks about the fact that many people could not be omeid al datosha Rabbi Meir. They couldn't understand completely Rabbi Meir's piske halocha and that it was difficult to grasp entirely what he was saying. And therefore, the reason that we don't paskan aloha like Rabbi Meir in many instances, Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Yossi both trump Rabbi Meir when it comes to the aloha, that's what the Gemara in Erevin tells us, and that likely is because people could not understand, not because Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir was very bright and extremely sharp, but nevertheless, since we couldn't completely understand what he was saying, that means that he could convince you of anything. He could convince you that it was this way or that way, and if you can't come to an understanding of what he is saying, then we can't pass an aloha that way because you can't really argue on his positions. And Rabbi Yudu seems to be, in this case, saying something similar, which is the Talmudim of Rabbi Meir aren't coming to learn, they're coming to, you know, catch me and show me that I'm wrong, or Rabbi Meir has a difference of opinion. Nevertheless, Dachok Sumchus Benichnas. Sumchus, who appears in the Mishnah in numerous places, is famous for his position in regards to Nizikin, which is Mamona Mutal Besafek, Mamon that is left Besafek, Chokim, which is his position versus the Chachamim, which is a Motziach Mechaviru Alavaraya. So Sumchus appears in the Mishnayot, Rajas, the Talmud of Rabbi Meir. He gets in there, Amar Lehem, Kach Shanali Rabbi Meir. says, this is how Rabbi Meir learned this Mishnah, similar to what we have. So he goes in and starts at our Mishnah. He gets upset as a Talmudim. Had you let one of Rabbi Meir's Talmudim get in here? Again, they are argumentative, 
They are contrarian. Val kazayit minameit migaleach alameit lo koshikain. So his question was, if you have to get a, if the nazir is affected by kazayit minameit, then what do I need a mate for? Isn't that obvious? So now Rabbi Huda, at least according to the Mepharshim here, did not have this problem because he did not have alamait in the Mishnah. Meaning that he says, if you look in the Mepharsh, Vamar, Zuena Mishnah. He basically says that's not the right way. You have the wrong girsa in the Mishnah. Now that's at least according to the girsa that we have in the Mepharsh. But you can see that there's a little Aleph and the Shkota Rivan says, Enetz Richat Talmud. That this, we doesn't need explanation, we can clarify. This is not an issue. It's not a hard question to deal with, because the Gemara is, in a second, we'll show you what the meaning of it is. It seems that either Rabbi Huda did not have that girsa in his Mishnah, or that he had the girsa, but he had a clear way to explain it, which the Gemara is going to explain in a second, of how to deal with it, and therefore he didn't feel like it was a good question. And he says, they're just coming to Kapcheni, it's Irene, to get, make it difficult for me, make it hard for me. So I'm a Rabbi Yossi. So Rabbi Yossi, again, who is one of the Baal Plukta, you have Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, who are contemporaries in our Baal Machlokot throughout Mishnayot. I'm a Rabbi Yossi, Yomru Meir Shechaf, Rabbi Meir passed away, Yehuda Kas, Yehuda got angry, Yossi Shatak, and Rabbi Yossi was silent about this whole thing. Torah Mate Alea. What's going to happen to the Torah? I mean, you have a question here that's being raised, and no answer is being given. Rabbi Meir is no longer around to deal with it. Rabbi Huda refuses to answer the question, whether that's because he doesn't have the gear store, whether because he thinks the answer is easy, and he doesn't want to deal with the Talmidim and Rabbi Meir. Meantime, everybody who's sitting there, you have a question that's not being addressed. And so there's nothing being resolved, and Rabbi Yossi says, i got to stand up, and i got to deal with this. I'm Rabbi Yossi. Talking about a mate that doesn't have a kezayit basar. We're talking about kezayit basar mean a mate, that's one type of tumah. The other type of Tumah is a mate that doesn't have Kazayit Basar on it. So now what are you going to say? You're going to say, oh, a mate. What is an example of a mate that doesn't have Kazayit Basar on it? So you're going to say that it is an Aver. An Aver doesn't require a Kazayit Basar. So even if you say here we're talking about a mate that does not have a Kazayit Basar, then you're already brought into the next piece of the Mishnah, the Mishnah that says that from an aver minamait, a limb from the mate, even if it doesn't have kazayit basar on it, you're still tamay tumat amait. So if there's sufficient grounds from that, what do I need the, again, the mate for? If you have a whole mate, even though it doesn't have kazayit basar, in the mate there are all these avarim, and one single aver would have been sufficient grounds for it. Ella, kidama Rabbi Yochanan, it is like what Rabbi Yochanan says, Kedama Rabbi Yochanan means that Rabbi Yochanan said it somewhere else. Where is the other place that he said it? Now the Gemara in Chulin has this sugi of Rabbi Yochanan, but as the Balei Atosfot point out over here, when it says Kedama Rabbi Yochanan, means that Rabbi Yochanan's reference was to the Mishnah Olot. That Rabbi Yochanan said this about the Mishnah Olot, and now the Gemara is taking that and applying it to our Mishnah as well. Because the Mishnah Olot also starts out with Hamait and Kezayit Min Hamait. So the same question that's relevant here is relevant to that Mishnah in Olot. So the answer that Rabbi Yochanan gave for the Mishnah in Olot will be equally applicable over here, which is, It's the case here where you have a miscarriage or you have a premature baby that's born who's not fully developed. 
Since he's not fully developed, his limbs are not fully formed, there is no limb here to speak of. And there's also not a kezayit basar. That's what the Mefaresh says, that this is a nefel, right? the sinews or the form of the gidim has not come to full maturity or full fruition. And therefore you can't say there's too much aver here because there are no avarim. You can't talk about kezayit basar because then that's already considered a kezayit bin a mate. So then you're talking about here a mate. Meaning that's a full mate. And because it's a full mate, therefore that's what creates the tumah. And that's what Mifaresh says, afopish enalav basar. He says, even though there's no basar on it whatsoever, you could argue that it's a case here where there is basar on it, but it is less than a kezayit basar. So you have to find a whole mate that doesn't have the component parts that are mentioned in the Mishnah. Because those component parts by themselves would make you tamay. How do you do that? You use a nafel which isn't fully formed. And because of that, it doesn't match or doesn't have the component parts that we speak about in the Mishnah. But it does have this character trait, which it is that it's a full mate. And that's why it's mitame. Because it's in its full state, not because of all the other little components that we mentioned in the Mishnah. That is Rabbi Yochanan's solution to the problem here. Again, the Mephresh says, Avapishen alav basar. In the Tosafot over here, it says, Vidbo kezayit basar. That this nafil has a kezayit basar associated with it. And you can see over there that the Angod Ronschenberg in Othei says, Tevat ve'it nimchak b'nirbai de'ein bo kezayit basar. So he changes it. If you say eat bo kezayit basar, then you're back to almost the square one, which is, then how is that different than kezayit basar minamit? So now you could argue that kezayit min mate means when it comes from a fully formed mate, that's when kezayit basar matters. But here on a nafo, maybe the kezayit basar doesn't matter because it's not fully formed. That's one way to deal with the tosvot. Or the other way is to deal with the girsa, which says einbo kezayit basar, which is then slightly different than what the mefresh says. The mefresh says there's no basar whatsoever. Again, tosvot might suggest there is basar, it's just not up to the level of a kezayit basar. Because that's what we're trying to address here. We're trying to address why this mate does not have a kezayit basar, as well as why does it not have avarim. The solution is to say that it's a nafel that either doesn't have basar, less than kezayit basar, and also does not have fully formed limbs. So to over here, Again, he said it by the Mishnah Olot, and now we're applying it to the Mishnah here in Azir. Rav Amar, what happens when you have a case of rov binyan and rov minyan that does not have a rova atzamot? So now, we mentioned in the Mishnah, by the way, that there's only a chatzikav is the threshold for Nazir. Rova atzamot comes from the Mishnah in Olot. So that opens up issues with regards to the rova statement. Why is he mentioning rova atzamot, which has no relevance here by Nazir? It only has relevance by Tumata Oel. So therefore they say over here that it's a Chiddush that he's saying this, that even though this wouldn't, Rovat Samot wouldn't be sufficient to undermine the Nazir, nevertheless it would be sufficient grounds for Tumata Oel. And despite that fact, it creates a Tumat here that would be undermining in nature. Why? Because you have Rov Binyano or Rov Binyano. So those independently are something that will make you tamay. Why this is interesting and why this makes a lot of sense is the Mishnah and Olot has a category that's not mentioned in our Mishnah. The Mishnah and Olot includes another category that's mitamei ba'ohel, which is rov binyano 
Rov Alpha That's the Mishnah has a case like that in all oath. Our Mishnah mentions nothing of the sort. So when Rova comes along and says that that's what it's coming to include, when you say the mate is coming to include Rov Minyano, Rov Minyano, that doesn't have Rova Kavat's Molt, he's basically adding in the one category that's found in the Mishnah in Olot that does not appear in our Mishnah over here. And for that reason, it would make a lot of sense that he's trying to include that. As Tosfo points out over here, Mishum de Matnitin Ba'olot, Ketani Behedja, Arov Binyan, Arov Minyan, Demetamei Ba'ol, Kihokach, Lekali Frushe Hotam, Alamait, Elek Rebbe Yochanan. So now, what Tosfo points out is, Rova's explanation is great for our Mishnah. Rova's explanation does not work in the Mishnah in Olot. Because the Mishnah in Olot says, Alameit, Valkazait bin Amit, similar to our Mishnah, but also has Rov Binyan and Rov Minyan explicitly mentioned in the Mishnah. So Rova's explanation is a sufficient explanation for our Mishnah over here, but it's not a sufficient explanation for the Mishnah in Olot. And therefore what he points out is that Rova would have to at least agree with Rabbi Yochanan with regards to the explanation of the Mishnah in Olot. Because he can't explain the Mishnah in Olot according to his reasoning because it's explicit in the Mishnah that's there. Tosavo then says that some Sfarim changed the Girsa here in Rova to say, Lo Vigulgolit Sheinbo Rova Atzamot. It's talking about a spine or a gulgolit that does not have Rova Atzamot. That's based on the Gemara upcoming on Gimel, and there the Gemara quotes it from Rova as if he had said it somewhere else. And we don't find anywhere else where Rova said it. So what they do is they change the Girsa here in Rova to match the Gemara further on to say this was the source, or this is where Rova said it in the first place. Tosafot rejects that and says that you can't say that. Our Mishnah says Shidra Vigulgolit explicitly. So how can Rava say that that's what the Mishnah is adding by mate? Because the case of Shidra and Gugolot in our Mishnah is a case of mate. And as Tosafo pointed out on the Mishnah itself, it doesn't have Basar on it. And it must be a case where there's less than a Rova Kavavatsamot. Otherwise, what's the relevance of that in the Mishnah? And therefore he rejects this alternate Girsa in Rava. Rather, keeps the Girsa that we have here and says that Rava's explanation therefore cannot be on the Mishnah in Olot, but rather must be in our Mishnah here. Because in the Mishnah Alot, again, it's mentioned explicitly. That's the explanation of the word alamate in our Mishnah. It's either a case where, talking about a nafel that doesn't have a kazait basar, whose limbs are not fully formed, or we're talking about rov minyano, rov binyano, which is 125 bones, or rov binyano is three out of the five bones that we mentioned before, the two thighs and the two lower legs and the spinal column. If you have three of those bones, then you would have Rov Binyano. If you have those, even though they don't add up to a Rov Kavat Samot, or by Nazir, they don't add up to a Chatzik Kavat Samot, it would still be Tamei Tumatameit, and would be Oker the Nizirut. And now the Gemara asks, Kazayit Meit, Bakazayit Netzel. Vezu Netzel. What is this Netzel? Basarameit Shikarash. It is the flesh of the mate, Shikarash, that is hardened. So now, it doesn't start out, it doesn't just go from Basarameit to hardening but rather it's decomposed mate that liquefied, and then hardened. That liquid then turned into a solid. Omoal shir tiach. So here you have two explanations. The Mephoresh says that Moal shir tiach is that the liquid of a mate or the solid of the mate was heated up to a liquid form, and then in that liquid form, afterwards it hardened. So now it's the same as the previous case. It's just a question of how did it decompose, or how did it liquefy. So, in the first case, it liquefied by itself, and then it hardened. 
And the second case, that it came out of basara mate from something that was heated up, and then it became hardened. That the heat caused it then to coagulate, or to harden afterwards. So that's the explanation according to the Faresh. According to Tosafot, Shir Tiach means that it's an item that boils, that reaches a point where it will boil up and it will liquefy. These are liquids that, if they were heated up and boiled, they would bubble. And that's the way Tosafot explains it. That is the definition. Because close to the Mepharesh, it says it's just a method to get to the solid piece again, to Karash. Tosafot says separately that it is the heating itself that if it acts in a certain way when heated, that is what determines that it's a liquid from a mate. Hey, Chidami, what's the case here? If we do not know whether the liquid emanated from the mate, kikarash mayhavi. When it hardens, what does that do for you? Just because you have something that's hardened over here, if you don't know it's from the mate, then you can't say for certainty that it is tamaytumatamate. Ella, diadinan, dididehu. No, we know it's a liquid that emanated for the mate. Afagab de karash. If that's the case, why does it need to harden? As long as it's a liquid that emanated from the mate, then we should know that it's problematic. Why do you need it to harden? So what the Gemara is indicating here is that the karash, the hardening of that liquid, is evidence of the fact that it emanated from the mate. So that's what we're seeing here. According to the Mifresh, that's the only way you know it emanated from the mate is it karash. So whether it, the liquid came out of the mate, then hardened, or whether you heated it up and then it hardened, that's always evidence that this is a liquid that emanated from the mate. On the other hand, for tosafot, there are two tests for a liquid that comes from a mate. Either it hardens, or if you boil it and it bubbles, that is something that emanated from the mate. But in either instance, then why do you need it to harden? Because you know, you saw that it emanated from the mate. You know for certain that it emanated from the mate, then you don't need it. You don't need this test. It's clear that it emanated from the mate. So now it's interesting, it starts out, the Gemara says, that we don't know. Well, in case we don't know, means that we're unsure or uncertain. So the Gemara's answer is going to be, it's a case where we don't know. So how is that different than the Deloyadinan beforehand? So it must be that Deloyadinan beforehand means that Deloyadinan is not that we don't know, but rather that we know for certain that it's not. That's, it's the opposite of Yadinan. We do know. Deloyadinan means not we don't know, but it's not. Or you have to say that Deloyadinan is synonymous with Stam. But now the Gemara is going to explain why that makes a difference. Others explain that Deloyadinan means we don't know if this liquid is from the mate at all. But Stam, Rabbi Yirmiya's answer is that we do know it's from the mate. We're just not sure which liquid from the mate that we're speaking about. And that's the difference between Stam and Deloyadinan. That's the way the Tosfot explained it. As we mentioned before, the Mifaresh explains it as that the Yadina means the Yadina and the Lo. We know for sure that it's not from the mate. In order to avoid the stira or the difficulty with the word Stam that Rabbi Mirmia gives, which seems to be a differentiated answer than from the propositions that we made until this point in time. Rabbi Mirmia, the Stam. It's a case where we have a liquid here that seems to be associated with the mate, but we don't know. Ikarash Mo'alhu. If it hardens, then it is liquid that emanated from the mate. Lo karash, if it did not harden, dilma kecho veneo hu. Maybe it is liquid that emanated from the mate, but it's not from the mate himself. Rather, it is saliva or mucus from the mate that does not carry tumata mate, that does not from the body of the mate. It's a separate entity or liquid that is inside of the mate. Bodily fluids, but they're not fluids from the decomposition of the body. That emanate from the mate himself. So here, the kechov 
were not hardened. Or, according to Tosafot, if you boiled them up, they would not bubble. They would uh, simply get heated, but not bubble, in the sense of the boiling, bubbling on the top. So that would be indication, probably because they're more viscous, they don't bubble when they are boiled. So because of that, this is the test in order to figure out whether this is a liquid that comes from the mate, from the decomposition of the mate, or the residue that comes away from the mate. It's a liquid that comes from the mate himself, and not from liquids that were inside of the mate, or bodily fluids that were inside the mate. So now, Now that we talk about this decomposition, this liquid that emanates from the mate, is that only true by a cadaver? Or is that true also by carcasses? Is that true also by behemot? Miamrinan gemire neitzel da'atu miadam avadati mi behemalo. Is it that the halacha the Moshe misinai? When we learn this, it was specified or specific about an adam. It has no application by a behema. Odum aloshta, or maybe it makes no difference. Neitzel here is just described by adam because that's the more likely scenario. But even by Beima, it would be the same thing. One who says that Tumachamura only lasts until the Ger, but doesn't last until the Kelev, then there's nothing to speak about over here. Here the Gemara is making a veiled reference to a Machloket in the Gemara in Chulin as to Tumat Nevela. When it comes to Tumat Nevela, we know that a Nevela has Tumat associated with it, which has Tumat Maga and Tumat Masa. It's a higher level of Tumat. How long or when does a Nevela have Tumat Nevela? Basically, when is it called a Nevela? A Nevela over time will decompose. It will no longer be a Nevela. How far does it have to decompose or rot before it's not considered a Nevela anymore? The machloket is, is it adachilat ager, as long as it's still fit for human consumption as a din of nevela, or as long as it's fit for a dog to eat, then it's still considered to be nevela. Obviously, that's a different level. That which is fit for human consumption is a much higher threshold than that of what is something that can be eaten by a dog. The reason that the dog and the ger are mentioned over here is because of the sukim in the Torah. Because Pasuk says by a treifa, that you're not allowed to eat the treifa, ubasar besadeh treifa, lo tochelu, lekelev, tashlichun oto. You throw it out to the dogs. By nevela, it says you may not eat a nevela, lo tochlu kol nevela, lager, asher bisharecha tinena, vachala, omachor lenachri. Give it to the ger, or lenachri timkeren, or you sell it to the goy. So over there, you have ger associated with nevela, you have kelev associated with treifa, the question is, which is the threshold by which it is still considered to be a nevela? Is the threshold of the dog or is the threshold the ger? Ger we're talking about here is a ger toshav, not a ger tzedek, who is a full-fledged Jew, and then obviously this is not relevant. But here, the question then is, a nevela, when does it still have the tumat nevela? So one opinion is, as long as it's ro'oi le ger, as long as the ger can eat it, it's a nevela. Not ro'oi le ger, not a nevela. The other one says, no, as long as the dog eats it, it's a nevela. The dog doesn't eat it, then it's no longer nevela. So in the way Tosfut explains here, Damar Tumachamura, Tumachamura is this added level of tuma that is associated with the nevela. That first of all, kazayit min a nevela gives off tuma, and it has tumat maga, tumat masa, this higher level of tuma. That is adager. Tumakala is tumat ochlim, which is that tuma that regular ochlim have, tuma that only convey tuma through a kabeitza. 
of item, and plus it's only conveyed to Matrumaga, not through Masa. That's the way Tosfot says it. Other Rishonim say that it's talking about the Nevela itself. The Nevela itself, when it's on the higher level, when it's in Nevela, has Tumachamura, and when it decomposes, and then it turns into a equivalent to a regular Ochel, and then it has the din of two regular Tumat Uchlim. And that's what the question is, where is that threshold? Now, if you say the threshold is with the Ger Toshav, when it's Ra'uit for an Achilat Ger Toshav, then this question never gets off the ground about the Neitzel of the Be'imah. Neitzel of Be'imah, as you rightly pointed out before, is only relevant after a period of time of decomposition. It has to reach a point of rotting and decomposition where it's clear it's no longer Ra'uit L'Achilat Ger, and it's no longer a Nevela. To speak about Neitzel Behemah for the opinion that says that if it's not Roi the Gear, it's not a Nevela, there's no way that you're gonna have a Nevela that has Neitzel that is associated with it. But, El Alamanda Amar, Tumachamura Adla Kelev, the one who says that Tumachamura Nevela, or Tumat Nevela applies until it's not Roi the Achilat Kelev, then you have a possibility that the meat will decompose, but decompose to a point where it's still Roi the Achilat Kelev, but you have Neitzel now that is associated with the body. And then it's a question. What's the din? So Tashma, the Gemara brings, it tries to bring a proof from here. If they liquefied it through a fire, through heating it up, if they liquefied it in the sun, then it's Tahor. So how you liquefy this Neitzel will make a difference. If it's liquefied through a fire or liquefied through the sun. If you think until it's not Kelev, it's still considered to be a Nevela, then why when it's heated in the sun, is it not still considered to be Neitzel Minabeima and Tamei? The fact that it's not shows you that there is no Neitzel from a Behema. Mara says, no, you don't have to say that. When does it become liquefied in the sun? Butter das ruach bichama. Because after it's already rotted in the sun. Came in the asrach afar. It's already been sitting out in the sun that long. Then it's already like the dirt of the earth, meaning it's no longer considered to be even neitzel minamit. It's decomposed so much that it's not even in the category of nevela anymore. So one of two ways to explain this. Either that when was it put in the heat of the sun? That was after it was already rotted and decomposed. So now when the sun is beating on it after that point in time, and that's what causes it to liquefy at that point in time, you're way beyond, first of all, the point where it's Ra'u'i l'achilat kelev. In addition to that, whatever you produce over here is not going to be anything that is relevant to the mate anymore, or to the, over here, the carcass of the animal. And then the other way to explain it, which seemingly is what Tosfut says over here, is that it was out in the sun. The reason that it liquefied was because it was in the sun. But when it was in the sun that long that it liquefied, it first rotted. And it rotted completely to the point where it's no longer a carcass. And therefore the liquid that you're talking about here is not a liquid from a carcass. It's a liquid that is already from something that's so decomposed that it's no longer any association with the carcass or the original carcass that was there. So therefore it rotted or it decomposed so much that it's not really like that Kelev. And therefore it's clearly not a nevela or deemed to be a nevela anymore. So that's how the Gemara answers. We don't have any proof from here because here would apply both Bechama Oba or it seems that the Chamab reason why it's not considered to be Moal or it's not considered to be Neitzel is not because there's no Neitzel Minabeima but rather because 
it's gone beyond the point where it would have any consideration. All right, now the Gemara says, Tanan, kol hanitok tohor. Anything that flows is tahor. The case here is based on a Mishnah in Machshirim. There's also a Mishnah in Tarot, a similar Mishnah, which is that you're pouring a liquid from one utensil to another utensil. The lower utensil is Tameh, the upper utensil is Tahor. And you're pouring the liquid out from the upper to the lower utensil. That upper utensil would not become Tameh, and neither will any of the liquids in the upper utensil. Even though when you pour it, there's a stream of liquid that connects between the upper and lower utensils. That's not considered to be a chibor, mostly because it can't be reversed. Which is that if you stop pouring the upper, whatever was in the airspace is going to flow down to the lower one, and will not come back towards the upper utensil. And so because of that, there is no chibor, there's no connection between them. So that's what it means, with the exception of midvash hasifim v'hatsapichit. These are two exceptions to the rule. The dvash sifim, according to most, is that dvash comes from a place called zif. And that's why it's called dvash sifim. The Gemara in Sota brings an alternate opinion that it is from the word mizuyaf. You can cheat or be sneaky with it, which is since the honey is so thick that you can add water or wine to it and add that, they call it to the weight or the volume, and people wouldn't notice because the thickness of the honey would cover up anything that's added to it. Today, our dvash is clear. Our dvash has a certain amount of purity and clearness to it, that if you add something else to the dvash, it's visible in the dvash. On the other hand, this dvash of zifim was so thick and cloudy, that it was impossible to see other liquids inside of it. So that's the two explanations, Machlok Rabbi Yochanan and the Gemara and Sota, as to whether it means it's a location, dvash from this certain location that was very viscous, or is it dvash that's so thick that the properties allow you to be mizayif, to cheat, or to falsify the fact that it's dvash, because you can add other liquids to it and they will not be noticed. Either way, we're talking about honey that is extremely thick and viscous. Batsipichit, the tzapichit, most say this tzapichit the dvash, that's mentioned by the man in the Torah. And tzapichit dvash is something along the lines of, we'll call it a Danish, but it's something where there's flour and honey that are mixed together, Danish dough of sorts. Tosfa brings a possibility that this is natural honey, meaning that stuff that is taken directly from the honeycomb itself. And because of that, it creates a much thicker mixture in the honey, it's not standard honey, but honey with the flour and maybe even oil that's added to it, and because of that, it becomes much more, again, thick and viscous. And so that's what we're talking about here. The Rambam and the Perish Nayot mentioned Sabichid is also a name of a place, and it's Dvash from that location. It's unclear where he got that from, but that it's also a location here. But the basic gist of what's being said in the Mishnah, it doesn't really matter what the exact definition is, we're talking about items that are super thick. And since they're super thick, they are considered to be a chibur. The Gemara now will try to clarify why that is. And because it's so thick, it makes it as if it's a solid that is connecting between the two utensils. And that's why there's a chibur over here, because it's basically it's one big solid now. Because it's so thick, it's no longer deemed to be a liquid, it's deemed to be a solid. That's one possibility. The other possibility, the Gemara calls re-ray, which is that what you're saying is not exactly true, but when you pour a liquid that's very liquidy, then again, when you pull up the upper clay, whatever's in the air is going down. And then when you're talking about very, very thick items, then when you're pouring them, 
when you pull back, it's true that 90 or even 99% of it will continue down. But there's a little pieces at the end, what they call riri, that will pull back into the kli. And that's what the Gemara is going to clarify in a second as to which of those two reasons is what creates the chibur over here. So, Beit Shemai Omrim, af amikpashel grisim v'shel pul. Even this dish, this dish that's made out of beans, pul are whole beans, grisim are milled beans that were cut in half and then made into this very, very thick, I'll call it almost porridge-like, a dish when the beans are boiled up in this manner. They say the reason is because it pulls back when you're pouring it. Is there a nitzok? Nitzok means is there a connection through pouring for food items? Or is there no connection for food items? The Mifaresh over here brings the question in one of two ways. Is the question on Beit Shammai or is the question on the Rabbanan? As we'll see later on, based on the Mifaresh's answers here, that there are two possibilities as to whether the question here is on the sheet of Beit Shammai, within the sheet of Beit Shammai, or is this a question on the Chachamim that argue on Beit Shammai or that seem to speak about Devash and not Pul and Grisim? It's unclear at this stage, later on in the answer, that Mifresh will give two explanations as the answer of the Gemara, and each of those answers will depend on how the Gemara started. Was the Gemara's question originally on Beit Shammai, or is the question of the Gemara here on the Stam position that we have? The Mifresh explains over here, If he's pouring lentils, or peas, again, which are items when they're boiled up that create a thick item, drone, which is like a descent of some sort from the Malo Lamato, are the upper items Tamei or Why is it that they are considered to be a connection? Because they have re-ray. They have this stickiness to them that pulls it back, and therefore they are Tamei. And these food items don't have this concept of re-ray to them, or Dilma Gabi Zifim my time What's the reasoning is because they are thick. And that thickness creates it into a chibor. And they will be true by other food items as well. So that's the way that the Mifaresh explains the question. The question is about other ochlim. Other ochlim like Adashim and Apunim. Do they have the same din as Devash, Tsipim, peas and lentils? So do they have the same properties as Devash? Or they did not have? And that goes back to the question that you asked before. What is the property here that makes it a connection? Is it because of the thickness? And these have that same thickness. Or is it because of the recoil? That it pulls back a little bit of the liquid and these don't have that. While they're thick, they don't pull back. They don't have that type of stickiness, viscosity like uh, honey, which would pull it back after you had finished pouring it. it would take some of the chibur back into the pouring utensil. So that's the question according to the Mifaresh. Tosfut, on the other hand, says, What happens if you heat up something that was a solid and now make it into a liquid? So as opposed to the Mifaresh, who says the questionnaire is about a solid item, a solid food that has some liquid properties to it, which is things like these lentils that are boiled or peas that are boiled up. So that's what Tosfut's question comes along the lines of what you're asking, which is, if you take fat and liquefy it, what is the din then of the liquefied fat? 
And it's and he's asking according to Rabbi Abayim, do we say it's because of Rire? That it's because of the recoil that's there. That's why it's a chibur. And therefore these klomarshins, these don't have that recoil that's associated with them. Or is it because of the thickness that connects between them? And therefore these other items also have that thickness that is associated with them. So tell us what it says. It's a solid food that was liquefied. The Mephorash says we're talking about a solid food. But the are both asking the question that the reasoning here is have to do with thickness and not with re-ray. And therefore, the seam in the pool don't have sufficient thickness for this. But maybe if you get something with sufficient thickness, it would be like dvash. Or re-ray is the reason, but that you need serious re-ray. Serious re-ray, dvash has serious re-ray. But these items, they do not have those properties. So now Gemara says, do we say the reason that Dvash is a chibur is because of this recoil nature of Dvash? Because it has to do with the thickness that makes it into like a single item. And these items are also thick, whether it's what the Mephari says, it's these food items or substances which are very thick when they're cooked. Or according to Tosfa, you took a solid item and liquefied it, so now it has properties of a liquid, but it's still got the solidness to it. So Amarovo, Tashma. Chelev amet shuhu shalem. You have chelev from a mate that is whole. Vihitichu. And then you heated it up. Tameh. Then it remains tameh. Hayam mifurad. If it was already separated, meaning you had small pieces of the mate. Vihitichu. And then you heated it up. Tahor. Even though now that they combine, it's considered to be tahor. This is probably the connection to the previous Gemara. Even though it's not clear that this, there's a real direct connection, but here we're talking about heating up items of the mate, and we talked about here tiach before of the neitzel. By the neitzel, we talk about here heating up the mate and then having this become liquefied. So if you think there's no connection by ochlim, shalem v'hitiho, if it's whole, and then you heated it up, namili taher, it should also be tahor. What is happening here is that, say you have a pan here, a shallow pan that you're firing up, and then the mate, the piece of the mate's in there. When the mate's, piece of the mate goes in there, it liquefies. After the heat is removed, then it's going to solidify or re-solidify again. While it's a liquid, what is happening is that the liquid is dividing or separating. If that's the case, then if there's no if there's no connection or chibur then you have the equivalent of the second case that was quoted over here from the Tosefta and Olot, which is the case where it's mifurad. It's already divided up. Once it's subdivided, you can't recombine it to make it into a single entity. So if you liquefy it and the liquid spreads, and that's not considered to be a chibur, then you don't have a single unit of mate that would be tamay anymore. And even when it recombines later on, that's not sufficient grounds for tumah. So what it must see from here is that there is nitzok by ochlim, because if there was no nitzok of ochlim, then the items would not combine. Over here, the Mifarej brings two explanations, and some background as well, which is that, chibur bide adam eno chibur. That's the first thing. That a chibur that is done by a human being does not create a chibur. And therefore, if you need to have a certain minimum shi'ur from the mate, it would have to be that it came from the mate where it was whole enough when you started that it has the shi'ur, the requisite shi'ur you need to have the tumah. That's number one. Tosafot here makes a couple important points with regards to this Tumah. He says, we find in other places that even though items separated, 
when they are joined together, they can grade two mab. You have two achatzi zayit of a mate, achatzi zayit of a mate, and they're in one oil, then the person is tamay. So Tosfot at first suggests that that is true by tumat oil, because an oil can combine the items into a single entity. But through tumat magai wouldn't work. But then he also brings an example by the Mishnayot in Oalot, that a person who's touching two half zaytim of a mate would become tamay. So over there he says it must be a case where there's some connection between the two chatzit zaytim, some small connection between them that allows them to be considered a chibur. In addition, the principle that we established over here, that when you combine something a yedayadam, it's not considered to be a chibur, that's only true by tumatameit. Because yeshlamar da'inu dafnu bit tumatameit she tumat bamimenu. That the tumat itself originates from the item. Therefore, if the item is broken down and then recombined, it will not have that tumah because it's inherent tumah. On the other hand, tumah that comes from an external source, like by tumah tochlim, in those instances, maybe chibur of Adam would re- help you to get to the requisite shi'ur, and it would be deemed chibur shel Adam would be a chibur. So Tosfut says, yes, you can prove from here that chibur Adam doesn't work by tumah tamait, but that doesn't mean you can extrapolate it to other dinim. Number two is, this is the Mephrash's first explanation. Since the liquid then will flow from one side to the other, Nifrat Zemizet separates. And you no longer have a single Kazayit in one location. Inami. It's a case where he heated it up and then poured it from this clay to another clay. It'll be separate. So the Mephresh brings two possibilities as to what the case is here in the Tosefta, where he took the solid piece of chelev from the mate, liquefies it. Now, either if you say that it's liquefied because it moves from the pan, side of the pan to the other side of the pan, and you're saying that liquids are not considered to be attached, you've lost your entity now. And even if you were to allow it to harden afterwards, or you hardened it afterwards, it wouldn't help you, because chibur bide adam is not considered a chibur, and you wouldn't have your kazayit mikunas, you wouldn't have enough gathered together in a single location to convey Tumah anymore. From now on, this item will no longer grant Tumah for someone else. Or, the Mephari says, in that case, it's not a question that it remains a single entity. When you're frying it up in a pan and you heat it up, that's a single entity. The question now is, when you pour it out of that pan as a liquid to another Kli, then if it's not a Chibor, then you've lost your Kazayit Mikunas Vimakom Echad, and it will no longer be Tameh. Even after you're finished pouring the entire amount into the bottom pan, it lost its connection along the way. And then when it's mukunas again, it's chibur adam, and it's no longer relevant. So it's one of those two explanations as to what the Gemara is saying. So that's the question here in the Mepharish. The question between the two explanations is, if you just heat it up in a single pan, is that already considered to be separated? Or you have to pour it to another pan in order to generate that separation. If it was in one pan and you heated it up, that would always remain as one unit because it's always together in the one pan. We wanted to know if there was Nitzok by Ochlim. And what he's trying to prove from here is that there is Nitzok by Ochlim, because otherwise, the first case in the Tosefta is not relevant. When you heated it up and liquefied it, how could you talk about Tumah anymore? Because it lost its properties where it's Mikunas, because you say there's no such thing as Nitzok by Ochlim. Either according to the first explanation of the Mifaresh, because it already spread in the pan when it liquefied and it's no longer one unit, or because you, in the second explanation, poured it from one to the other, and when you pour it to the other one, it's done. There is no connection anymore, and therefore you don't have it in one location. And now here, the Rosh brings a third possibility as to what the explanation is. He says, When you heat up a whole Kazayit, it should also be Tor. 
אי אפשר שלא נפרדה טיפה אחת ממקום החבורה, מחמד הרתיחה. זה פסבול through the eating process that one little piece of it didn't separate away from the core. וכשחזרה עליו, when it returns to it, לא אבי חיבור, then it's no longer חיבור, כי אין ניצוק חיבור לאוכלים. Because that's not considered to be אוכלים. So the Rosh brings the third possibility as to what the question was, is that as you heat it up, it's a little drop that moves to the side or separates from the core of the liquid here. And then when it rejoins the liquid, that's not good enough because it's not considered a chibur along the way. And now you don't have your kezayit even when it re-hardens at that point in time. So for uh, the question that's asked is there nitzok bochlim? What Rova suggests over here is, of course there's nitzok bochlim, otherwise this whole case in the Tosefta, in Olot, would not have any meaning because otherwise it would automatically be considered not together. And since it's not together, you don't have a question about tumatameh. The answer is, I'm Rabbi Zeira, Ana Umar Breid Ravina, Targamina, I and Mar Breid Ravina explained that Tosefta in order that it would not be a question about Nitzok Pochlin, which is, Hagamai Eskina, Kod Vahadid, Mrat Achlei, Salek Amudah, the Nura, the Pume, the Mana, the Korosh. Dita Kulei, Gabe Adodi. That it happened so fast, the heating was so extreme or so intense that either according to the Rosh, nothing could separate away it rose quickly to the mouth of the thing because it was so hot and then it hardened right away so the heating happened at such an intense heat that it right away rose to the mouth of the clay and then the coldness or cold air automatically hardened it and there was never any separation according to the Mifereish the first explanation it doesn't move from one side of the pan to the other because the heating happened so fast it liquefied on the spot or it happened in a narrow space and time, or according to the second explanation of the Mifaresh, the answer is he didn't pour it. The reason that it hardened was because it rose, to, it was heated heavily, and then it rose to the mouth of the utensil, and that cooled it off, and that's what caused it to harden. You didn't have to pour it to another clay in order for it to harden. If you look in the Tosafot, Tosafot over here says, salik amud he does not have Amud of the Eish that we have in our Gemara. He has Amud. It rose to the mouth of the clay and hardened. So therefore, Toso, it's not focused on the heating element of it, but rather the cooling side of it. And that it rose to the mouth of the clay, and that's what was the unique feature over here, not the heat that happened at an extreme heat or a very intense heat that it all happened in one shot. And that's what he says here. It's Zarech Lomar, the Kerish, Apuma Damana, Dilo Karash, El Chazar Yachad. That if it went up to the mouth of the clay and then dropped back down, then you'd have the same problem we had before. That's why it's described here. It was heated in such a way that it rose to the top of the clay and hardened immediately in that form. So now there's no longer a question of nitzok because there's no liquid, there's no connection between the different parts of this item. Right? We say that there's no proof from here. Right? So now the Gemara goes on to Malay Ravina the Ravashi, Tashma. Maybe we have a different proof from Beit Shemai. So what he's trying to prove here from Beit Shammai, and again, it's not clear, but he's saying, listen, Beit Shammai says that the reason that it is is because is that it recoils. So the first way that the Mepharish explains it is that Tashma from Beit Shammai, that there is Nitzok by Ochlim. There is Nitzok by Ochlim because Beit Shammai brings you an example of an Ochel that has a nitzok associated with her. So the Gemara says, Mi area, what are you talking about? Maybe there is no nitzok by Ochlim. And the reason that we differentiate between 
mikpah grisim and other foods is because they have rirei, they have the ability to recoil, whereas the other foods do not have an ability to recoil, and that's how we'll distinguish it. So according to the first explanation in the Mifaresh, the question revolves around Beit Shemai entirely, which is, is there any tzok by Ochlim? The answer is yes, because Beit Shemai shows you that there is nitzok by Ochlim. The answer to the Gemara is you can't prove anything from Beit Shemai, because the reason they say there's nitzok by the grisim in the pool is because of rirei, so let it lacharea, because it recoils. But other Ochlim, which are just because of the thickness, maybe they would not be like what Beit Shemai suggests. The second way the Mephresh explains it is that Beit Shemai shows you that Ochlim do not have a nitzok, because Beit Shemai gives the reason for they are saying that Grisin and Pul are considered to be connected is because of Soledet Lachareen, because they recoil, implying that other foods which do not recoil, they would not be considered to be Nitzot. They would not considered to have a Chibur, a connection between them. My answer is Midiria. You're talking about Beit Shemai. Who says that Beit Shemai's reason is the same reason as the Chachamim? You thought the question of the Gemara was in the sheet of Beit Shemai. That's not the case. The question is in the position of the Stam Mishnah, the Chachamim's position, not in Beit Shemai. In Ochanami, we can resolve what Beit Shemai says, but that doesn't mean we can solve what the Chachamim say. And if we don't know what the reasoning is behind the Chachamim, and based on that, you can't prove anything to the position of the Chachamim. You misunderstood the question as being directed towards the sheet of Beit Shemai. It's really about the sheet of the Chachamim. The Chachamim could argue on Beit Shemai. Beit Shemai says the reason is recoil, and that's why I include Pul and Grisim. Chachamim might say, no, the reasoning is... Chibur. It has to do with the thickness of the item. And maybe the Chachamim would agree that by Ochlim, which really is thickness, that it would have the same din as the Devash that is found in the Mishnah. So you can't prove to me anything about the Rabbanan's position over here based on what Beit Shemai says. So according to the first explanation of the Mifaresh, the whole question is within Beit Shemai. And the Gemara's answer is that you can't prove anything from Beit Shemai because Beit Shemai specifies that its unique property to these pool and grisim, which doesn't apply by other ochlim. The second way to learn it is, no, that we want to learn from Beit Shemai that there is no nitzok by ochlim, because they explain the reason that there is nitzok by pool and grisim is because of the recoil features which don't appear by other foods. Gemara's answer, again, is, that's nice for Beit Shemai, you're right, but for the Chachamim, Chachamim might have a different reason. The Chachamim might believe it has to do with the thickness, nothing to do with recoil. And therefore, according to the Chachamim, it's very possible that Ochlim do have this din of chibur through a nitzok. Rostosvo believes Ravina was trying to answer that Beit Shemai will be mar'eh on the Chachamim. That if the reason that Beit Shemai says, Mipneshi soledet that means that's the same reason as the Tanakam or the Chachamim and the Mishnah. Their question between them, as we explained before, according to Tosafot, is simply how much of a recoil is there? Chachamim require a larger recoil, like by Devash, whereas Beit Shemai has a lower threshold and says the recoil can be even by Grisin and Pul. Gemara's answer is Midiria. How do you know? Just because the reasoning behind Beit Shemai's rerin doesn't mean that the Chachamim's reason is the same. Maybe the Chachamim's reason has to do with Smichut, has to do with the thickness of the item. And therefore you can't prove anything from the position of Beit Shemai with regards to the position of the Chachamim. And therefore Ochlim might be included or might have a neat soak according to the Chachamim because it has to do with the thickness of the item, nothing to do with the recoil properties of the item. We talked about a spoonful, a ladle full of this decomposed or rotted mate. Become a shiuro. What's the shiur of this? Obviously the question here is that we're talking about a ladle. 
And a ladle doesn't have an exact size. So what does that mean? And now the Gemara is trying to bring a size to that spoon or that ladle that we're discussing over here. Chizki amar melo pisat hayad. It means a palmful. Yochan amar melo chufnav. That it means a handful of the item. Now whether that is, again, melo chufnav is a single handful. As the Mepharesh says over here, it's a single handful. It's a full fistful of the item. Whether Melchofnaim, it's like a two hands pushed together where you're holding it between the two hands. Seems to be the explanation of the Rambam. Tznan. Below Torvad Derekev. It's a question here whether you should have the Girsa of Tznan. As you can see, it's a Tosefta and Olot. And there's some question amongst the Mishonim. Are they quoting the Tosefta? Are they quoting the Mishnah? Below Torvad Rakov Shamru. Yeshnan Mikar Etzbaot Ulamala Divrei Rabbi Meir. For Rabbi Meir, it's the measurement is from the tops of the fingers. They're talking about the palm full of the item. Now the grove here changed the gisra from mi'ikar etzbotav to kishrei etzbotav. Kishrei etzbotav frame like the joints of the fingers rather than the mi'ikar etzbotav. And we'll see because now the Gemara is going to say it and uses the word kishrei etzbotav. So now, bishlama Rabbi Yochanan Damar Rabbonon. Rabbi Yochanan, who over here says Meloch Chofnav, is following the position of the Chachamim, who say Meloch Chofnav. El Chizkiyah, come on. Who does Chizkiyah follow? Loke Rabbi Meir. He's not like Rabbi Meir because Chizkiyah says Meloch Pisatayad. This means that the palm of the hand. Whereas Rabbi Meir is talking about the Etzbaot, which are the fingers on the top. What's the connection between them? Below Rabbonan, the Rabbonan say it's a whole fistful or handful and... Chizkiyah is saying that it's only the palm of the hand. So the Gemara says, Amrei, Melo pisat ayad, Umelo kishreetz botav lamala chad shirahu. That's one shior. You are palmful, as well as the amount that you can hold from your fingers and upward, are the same measurement. In that if you divide your fistful or a handful of an item, if you divide it between what's in the palm and what is on the fingers, they would be the same size. The Gra points out from Etosefta other, in other places in Shas that it doesn't seem that way because they bring these measurements as a machloket in that Mishnah. And so it seems otherwise. Amalei Rav Shimi Papa Mimai. He says, why do you have to say this? How do you know the high Mikishrei Etzbotav Ulamala the Rosh? How do you know Mikishrei Etzbotav? When it says from the joints of the fingers, how do you know which direction the right is talking about? Could be Mikishrei Etzbotav from the joints, from the knuckles to the tips of the fingers. That's what we assumed until now. But when you say Kishri Yitzvotav, it can mean from the knuckles down to the wrist. So how do you know which way Rabbi Meir is measuring? And therefore, based on that, my Namala, Barosh, means to the tips of the fingers, Jamalamata. I mean, today, maybe it means from the knuckles downwards, which would be the equivalent of a palmful. And therefore, Chizkiah then would be like Rabbi Meir. Now, the gears over here, teiku, you can see that the gra takes out the word teiku. The tosafot over here says, look, garcina teiku, because what's the relevance of uh, teiku over here? Teiku is used when you have a halachic question, and the halachic question is unresolved. We don't have a halachic question over here. Here we're talking about how to explain the position. It's true that in other places, Nazir, they use tibai to replace teiku. We've also seen the word teiku be used in Nazir, but that might be other evidence of the fact that maybe the girsa shouldn't be take over here because in the Gemara Nazir, typically it would use the word tibai. And therefore maybe that's another good reason to believe that the girsa should not be take over here. So the Tosafot and the Gros say to take out the word take because it's not relevant over here. 
They're just trying to understand Rabbi Meir's position and how that can be explained within the position of Chizkiah. It's not a lucky question, it's an ex- explanatory question, which is, how do we figure out what Chizkiah was saying or who does Chizkiah's position match with? On the other hand, some say that you can leave in the word teku because you couldn't make it into a lucky question is, what's Chizkiah's position? Then, if you're going to pass him like Chizkiah, what's the meaning of Chizkiah's position? Is Chizkiah's position like Rabbi Meir? Is Chizkiah's position differentiated from Rabbi Meir? And therefore the question is a question of shiur. And therefore now we leave it as a teku, which is if you pass him like Chizkiah, what's the shiur that Chizkiah is speaking about? Is he speaking about a shiur that's domel or Rabbi Meir? Or is he speaking about a shiur that is differentiated in some way from Rabbi Meir? Or if you say this has relevance in other places where the Gemara uses the terminology mikishrei exbotav, and the way that Rav Shimi is explaining now that it's not equal to the knuckles to the tips of the fingers, it's not equal to the knuckles to the wrist, then it has halakhic implications in other places in Shas, and that's why there is a teku over here, because there is halakhic ramifications to his position against the explanation of the Gemara, and that's why this machloket of explanation Turns out to have halakhic ramifications. Okay, we're going to stop here by the bottom of Nun Amud Bet.